We observed last week that we are in a section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is warning about relaxing any of God's commands. Uh, We as humans have a great tendency to take God's law, lower the standards so that we can look like that we're doing what God said. And what is interesting about Matthew chapter 5 is that the rest of Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus illustrating how the people in that day were doing that very thing, how they were relaxing the law, how they were taking what looked like uh, something that was supposed to be the high standard of God, lowering it to such a degree that then they looked like and said, hey, well, we're doing what God said. We're fine, well, and good. And so you'll, you'll notice that that is the case. In fact, when you look at Matthew chapter 5, and if you just scan your eyes over the chapter, you will notice like in verse 21, it'll say, you have heard that it was said. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said. Uh, verse thir- 31, it was also said. Verse 33, again, that you have heard that it was said of those of old. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said. And verse 43, you have heard that it was said. Throughout this section, what Jesus is doing is dealing with how the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the teachers were taking the law and teaching it to the people. And I think this is an important foundation for looking at this. What Jesus is not doing is saying, here's what the law of Moses said, But I say to you, remember, Jesus was very clear in verses 17 through 20. I did not come to abolish the law. I'm coming and fulfilling the law. And what he is doing now is going to show how they were relaxing the covenant that God had made, how they were taking the laws of what Moses said, but then lowering them. And that's why you will say that you see Jesus not saying it was written or it is written. He doesn't say that. He says, you have heard them say, but I'm saying to you, and Jesus is going to take that bar and put it right back up where it's supposed to be, where the leaders at that time had lowered it. Now, you might wonder before we get into this, well, if this is all about how the people in that day were lowering the standard. What do we care? A lot because we do the same thing. What we're going to notice is that as we look at this, and we might want to go shame, shame on them for taking the law lowering, that you, we have a very fine tendency to do the exact same thing and take those laws and think that we are also clearing the, the hurdle that God has put before us when actually we have also lowered it. And so we're going to look at that over these next few weeks. Uh, Lord willing, what I want to do is take these in in uh, couplets. And so we're going to take the first two, Lord willing, next week, the next two, and then the week after that, the final two of chapter five, as we look at how we have the tendency to relax God's laws, to make ourselves believe that we are doing exactly what God wants. You notice in verse 21, that it tells us there in Matthew five, verse 21, you have heard that it was said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now you read that and go, well, that is the law of Moses. That is the 10 commandments. You weren't supposed to murder, but you will notice as you keep reading that what Jesus is dealing with is their lack of understanding of what Moses was communicating, because you will notice verse 22 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire. So you get a sense of what was going on. Here's the picture. As long as you don't kill somebody, you can say what you want, think what you want, and feel what you want. Just don't kill them. That's what's coming out of this. You've heard it says, oh, don't murder. And the implication is, so anything that doesn't bring about murder in terms of your heart or your behavior is acceptable. It's fine. No, no big deal whatsoever. And I want you to see that here is what Jesus is dealing with, is trying to get them to understand that hatred that is even in our heart is condemned. It is interesting that we can have a fine way to be like, well, I dealt with the situation really well. I did not punch them in the mouth when they said or did whatever they said or did. And I want you to see that we have the tendency to do the same thing and go, well, since I didn't respond in kind and have some kind of visible, outward, violent response... Therefore, I have done what God wants. I am holy before God and pat myself on the back. I did great. But you'll notice when he says, verse 22, but were you angry at them? Or the next one, did you insult them? Say abusive words to them. Final one there in verse 22, ESV reads, you fool, or some keep the translate the, the transliteration raka, which was a, a hurling of an abusive word, a slanderous word at somebody. But did you say something ugly back at them? Did you insult them? Did you call them an idiot? Were you rude and ugly in what you said? Notice what Jesus is doing here is 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 moving the bar back up and saying, If we're slandering them, if we're name calling, if we're cursing them, if we're speaking evil about them, then you're condemned. The bar is not, well, I didn't kill them, so I'm a good Christian. But rather, what is going on in the heart? What exactly is going on in the heart? And so that's the the picture that he first gives. I say to you not to be angry, not insult, not say abusive words, not hurl insults. I want you to do that. Now, even at that, that probably is a pretty significant challenge. But I want you to notice the paragraph doesn't end there. If you thought that was hard, Jesus just kind of takes the screwdriver and just turns it a whole nother turn right here. Because watch what he says next. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come to offer your gift Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going uh, with him to court, lest your accuser hand, hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out unless you have paid that last penny. Notice what he does here. He doesn't even stop and say, "Okay, here's what I want you to do. 
Here is somebody who is doing something awful to you. And so you sit back and go, I didn't kill them. Okay, you cleared that hurdle. But next one is, were you angry? Were you abusive? Were you insulting? Were you slanderous? Were you saying unkind words? Were you being ungodly in your thoughts and speech? And then Jesus does this. Here's actually the right standard. Be reconciled to that person. There's the standard. If you know that someone has something against you, notice how he flipped the table. We were talking about you being upset at them, right? That's how we started this. I want to kill them. Don't do that. I'm going to say angry words, abusive words, insultive words. Don't do that. And now he flips the table. And if somebody has something against you that you are aware of, stop what you are doing and go be reconciled to them right away. So think about how far the bar had been lowered in that day and time when the teachers in Jesus' day are saying, the line is murder, that's what the law says. And Jesus comes along and says, you have lowered the bar so far, you can't even see it. The bar is reconciliation. You need to go to that person and be reconciled. Now think about this. How often do we vindicate ourselves in our relationships with people that we know, with people that we don't know, acquaintances, workers, family, even in marriage? Because we did not act on our hatred. And we go, look, I did not act on that hate that I felt inside of me. Man, I am nailing it, crushing it. I'm doing such a great job. And Jesus says, no. What's supposed to happen is whatever the infraction was, whatever caused the pain, the wrong, the disagreement, the hurt, you are to proactively reconcile with that person. I want you to go to that person and I want you to solve it. I want there to be reconciliation. And I think this is quite a hit because what this is telling us then is so when we were filled with anger and rage towards someone, but we didn't do something about it, we were still wrong. When we were upset and we lashed out with our words and we said hurtful things, but at least we didn't act upon it. You know, we weren't physical, we weren't violent, we weren't confrontational, but we said words. We were wrong. And we didn't hold the standard. We called them names. You are so dumb. We were wrong. And when we didn't try to reconcile in that moment the broken relationship, we were wrong. That's the bar that Jesus sets back in there and says, that is what God expects. And 
The scriptures tell us that all over the place. The apostle John writes when he says, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. We have to let that rest on us. That kind of maliciousness, that kind of slander, that kind of insulting, that kind of hatred. Jesus just classifies that and says, murder. You have ill will to them. And how easy it is for us to think. Because we are steaming with wrath, boiling over with hatred, and smoke is coming out of our ears, but we didn't do something physically. We really restrained ourselves. That that was the bar that God wanted us to uphold. See, what they were saying back in their days, the same thing that we can think as well. That we can think that it's okay as long as we don't cross certain lines when it's not okay. And what God is wanting us to do is to reconcile. We are supposed to be the ones who are being peaceful. And I think it's important to remind ourselves that what you see over and over again is that relationships matter to God. Just remember those two commandments. It is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's not stopping right there. And love your neighbor as yourself. Relationships matter to God. How we talk to each other matters to God. How we talk to strangers matters to God. How we talk to acquaintances and co-workers matters to God. How we interact with one another matters to God. And we are not supposed to be overflowing with wrath and anger and malice and slander and insults and the like. That is a violation of what God is saying that is supposed to be overflowing from us. Instead, what's supposed to be overflowing from us, like we looked at in our Bible class this morning, humility and gentleness and kindness and compassion. That's what's supposed to come out of us as we deal with one another. In fact, so much so that this would come out of us that we would want to reconcile the relationship. When there is this fracture, what should be triggered within us immediately is how can we solve this? And so often, if you think about it, wrath, anger, malice, slander, insults are usually used by us as weapons to punish the other person for not doing what we think they should have done for us. Parenthesis, selfishness. I am doing this to punish you into doing what I want you to do. And so I will blow up, I will be violent, I will say words, I will do things to get you to conform to my way until you finally cower in fear and finally do what I want you to do. That's wrong. That's sin. The standard is reconciliation. And please notice what he says there in verse 24 after remembering it. Here you are in verse 23. He's talking about the individual in that day and time who is coming to worship. And he says in verse 24, what you need to do, if you know that there is a situation that needs to be reconciled, you need to stop and deal with that immediately. Or if I can put it this way, our worship is a complete sham before God. 
if we are not seeking reconciliation with those who have something against us. This is all a joke. If we are not actively pursuing reconciliation with people. He says, here you are coming to worship God. He just says, you need to just drop it right there. And you need to deal with that relationship. And then you come on back. You need to get right with people. You need to reconcile with people. You need to do what is right before them. And I know what we do. It's what we all do. Yeah, but, you know, they did something wrong. You don't know what they did. I know. We've all got our excuses and our justifications and our reasons. I want you just to look through verses 21 through 26. Did it say anything about, but if, you know, but but if it's really, really bad, then okay. (laughs) Well, they said, you know, you don't know. Right here, you know, but you, if, if I, did, here's Jesus, and if I don't know what they did, you know, then it's okay. You go ahead and just lay them out. You just verbally tear them apart. You just let all that wrath and hatred just flow through you. It's okay. Yeah, I know. I have no idea what they did. It's quite a picture that's given to us about what we are supposed to be before God. In fact, you will notice Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 reminds us. As far as it depends on us, live peaceably. Remember when Jesus started with those Beatitudes, one of the the pictures of who lives the blessed life are peacemakers. We're the reconcilers. We're the problem solvers. We're the one mending bridges. We are the ones who are doing whatever it takes on our part, whatever it takes to reconcile. Please notice, as much as depends on you, unless they did something really, really terrible, then never mind. The ball is in our court. You live at peace with everyone, every single person. That reconciliation is supposed to happen. And friends, in this picture that's given to us, we are only getting righteousness right if we are trying to reconcile with those who have something against us. This gives us the obvious thing. If you have something against somebody, then clearly you're supposed to go reconcile and sort that out. Because he's putting it, he flipped the table and said, even if you know about something that they might have. He doesn't say, wait around until they kind of figure it out, you know, and you might have pulled one over, it's okay. No, you got to go be reconciler. So if they have something against you, you have something against them. Whatever has happened, the responsibility still comes back upon us to be the one who is going to reconcile. We are going to solve the problem. And friends, how many times do we make matters worse? The goal of getting into that relationship is not to make matters worse. You say, well, how do I make matters worse? Here's how we make matters worse. Do you know what you did? I, I, you know, I'm trying to take the higher ground here. and You know, you did some stuff that you need to be sorry about. And I'm the one who's telling you what you did. So I'm waiting for your apology. Go ahead. All right. That's what we do. Oh, yeah, I'll go address it with them and blow it up even worse. Now, the picture is 
to go and solve the problem. And if we seek anything less than reconciliation, we have lowered the standard. Anything less than doing whatever we can on our part to mend that relationship, we've lowered the standard. We're not living to the standard that God has put forward. And friends, we should understand this. Of all the people on earth, we should understand this. Because this is what God did for you and for me through Christ. We should understand this. We should understand a God who goes to the extreme to reconcile relationships with people who don't care. We should understand that. We know what that looks like. We were those people. And we're supposed to be extending that and doing the same, reconciling. Yeah, but they don't care. We didn't care. We should understand that. Look how far God went for us to bring about peace, to resolve the relationship. We're supposed to do the same. And so anger is not acceptable. Wrath is not acceptable. Slander, insults, the like. Reconciliation is the bar that we would do everything that we can on our part to try to bring about a reconciliation. Those who are in the kingdom and those who are living the blessed life, they are the ones who are making peace and seeking reconciliation. You'll notice the next paragraph that that ties with that, verse 27. You have heard it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Well, you bring that beginning picture again and you read verse 27. You have heard this said you shall not commit adultery. And of course, that is also In the law, but as you keep reading, you are able to get a sense of what the religious leaders were teaching, which is as long as you don't commit adultery, everything below it is just fine. You go right ahead with whatever behaviors or actions that you want to do, but adultery is a line. God said no adultery, so everything else leading up to that is just fine. And so notice Jesus is coming in and going, That was not the bar, (laughs) that was not the standard. Instead, he puts the standard back where it belongs and he says, lust is the standard. And I think that's so important for us to keep in mind is that Jesus is saying we are not doing any better if we are allowing lust to roam around in our hearts and in our minds. But think, well, I didn't act upon it, so God's pleased. That's just akin to saying, I wanted to kill the guy, but I didn't do it, so God's pleased. No. Same thing here. Is that God is concerned with what is in our hearts and what is in our minds, and he is picturing that before us, that the standard is not adultery. That's not the standard before us at all. And I want you to notice the seriousness by which Jesus speaks about this circumstance. In verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Do you think that Jesus is serious about lust? That's a pretty extreme response. 
It's trying to communicate something to us that we should not look at lust, lustful intent, and think because we are not acting upon it, God is pleased. He's not. And he describes really here an aggressive response to anything that would be generating this kind of lust within us. And we must not lower that standard. And I would challenge us today in our society, in our culture today, there is a great challenge and a great need for self-control and to be aware of what your mind and what your heart is consuming and dwelling on. We need to be actively considering what are we spending our time thinking about, fantasizing about, dwelling on, where is your heart and where is your mind? And I think it's an important picture because when you talk like this, when you see this, this image given to us, what you have Jesus trying to tell us is that we need to do everything we can to maintain purity. If he's using the imagery of throwing out eyes, then he's really trying to tell us we need to do everything we can to avoid the circumstances by which we would be in temptation. We need to cut those things out. I've mentioned these before, but I'll I'll mention them again. But I would assert to you that these days with, with the internet and with our homes, it is all the more important to have controls installed because it's all over the place. It's easily accessed. These things that we ought not to be looking at or seeing are easily available. These days, our devices, our our Wi-Fi routers, you can have parental controls right on them to block all that stuff out for free. It's wonderful. There's tons of free software, tons of free ability to be able to block any and everything that could possibly come into your home. I would say that's all the more important with kids, but it is just true for all of us that it's just everywhere. And there's all kinds of ways to be able to block content, stop that. There's even things that you can pay for to have accountability partners. There's all kinds of ways to have accountability set up, and we should have it. We shouldn't be afraid of accountability. We should just be able to say, hey, you you can look at my computer whenever you want. There's nothing to hide there, nothing to see. And to be willing to have that accountability with your spouse, if you're single, with a friend, some way to make yourself accountable to these things because it is ultimately everywhere. And I think it's just so important to have a a mentality that Jesus has in this mentality, this aggressive response. I am going to do whatever I can to knock this out so that it's not going to happen. Because that's the imagery. Better to lose an eye than go into eternal punishment. Better to have the pain of content blockers and and filters than go to eternal punishment. Better to have blocking software. Better to not be the watching shows that show all that kind of stuff all over the television and streaming services than go to eternal punishment. This is a big warning here that's being given to us. 
And he wants us to do everything we can to avoid it. Listen to how the Apostle Paul worded it. He said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Notice the picture. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different. And notice God is saying something important here. You can exercise self-control. That's what he just said. You can say no. You can turn the channel. You can turn it off. You can turn it away. You can do all kinds of things. The question is if we want to. Do we want to exercise holiness and self-control? Do we want that kind of accountability? Do we want those kinds of things blocked? Are we wanting to keep it hidden? Are we wanting this to be something that's in the closet? It's a very important warning that we would have self-control in all areas of life. And friends, this is just a tough area in our world anymore. Now, I think about when I was a kid, it was inaccessible. You had to sneak into 7-Elevens and it, they, you know, it was on a super high shelf and so and behind the register. So it was inaccessible. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's accidentally thrown at you now. You don't even have to look for it. It'll come at you. Jesus said it this way. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. The reason I bring this in is because we cannot think that adultery, sexual immorality, and and the like all happen by accident. Your body carries out where your heart is. And if that's what you're putting your mind on, you're going to carry it out eventually. You're just going to keep pushing that and pushing that and pushing that. The body carries out what is in the mind. And so if we really want purity in our lives and in our homes, we should think about what the world might call our extraordinary measures, but Jesus is describing extraordinary measures. I mean, think about it like this. If he talks about here in verse 30, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. When are the circumstances in, in, in life that we have to actually physically cut off a limb? And it's pretty rare. And I think this is the, the, the graphic imagery that he's getting at. The reason that typically happens is you get some kind of infection that can't be rescued. And now you've got to cut it off before it infects the whole body. Do we think about this stuff like that? The things that are on TV and the pornography and the computer and all of that. Do we think about it as a poison? An infection? That's just seeping through your heart and seeping through your mind. Affecting how you look at people, how you look at relationships, 
and just completely destroying how you interact with other people. Cut it off is the picture that he gives. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell, into eternal punishment. Now let me conclude by pulling these two together by just reminding us what Jesus is doing in this is that we cannot lower the standard that is given to us. What Jesus wants us to do is take a moment, take this moment of reflection and consider if we've lowered the standard because exceeding righteousness and being the people of God is not to be able to sit here and go, well, I didn't murder anybody or commit adultery today. High fives all around. We all did great. We're supposed to avoid hate and lust. Standard back up here. Hatred. Malice, insults. What's consuming our hearts and minds with lust and impurity. That's the standard that Jesus is reminding us. And I think it's just important to keep in mind that when we look at the standard the way God wants us to see them. That's when our hearts become exposed. Remember, we talked about that last week, and I'll say it, Lord willing, two more times in the future. The goal of moving the standard back to where it belongs is so that we will be poor in spirit, mourn over our sins, come to him in meekness, begin to seek righteousness, seek a purity of heart. All the things that he began in that Sermon on the Mount of those Beatitudes, those things can't happen until the bar is back where it needs to be. And it is only when we stand before God and realize, no, I'm not doing a very good job in my relationships with people because there are things that I've said that I shouldn't have said. And there are relationships that I've destroyed that I shouldn't have destroyed. And I did have anger and wrath and malice. And yes, there has been lust. And yes, there has been things I shouldn't have seen and things I haven't been doing. Only when the bar gets back up there. Do we now finally humbly come before God and seek forgiveness? But if we keep it down here, well, then we're all doing great. Seeing the standard is what's supposed to make us repentant people. Seeing the standard is supposed to get to our hearts and say, today I've got to make some major changes. I've got to be a reconciler of relationships. There is somebody that I've wronged that I've got to deal with. There are ways that I've got to start making peace. There are things I can do to get these temptations out of my life, to purge myself of these lustful things. Only now will we want to do those things, that we will seek reconciliation and fight for purity. And that is my call for you this morning, is number one, that we would seek God's forgiveness. And then number two, fight for purity Fight to reconcile, fight for peace, work diligently at that. Give yourself to that over and over again. Make that a goal of your life, of how you are going to be a different person in relationships and in purity before God. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, how can we read these words and not come before you in complete need of forgiveness? And no one here 
who is untouched by your words of what you have said to us in, in, in this message. And God, I pray that you would forgive us for when we have had anger and wrath, when we have said insulting things, when we have been rude, mean, ugly toward others, when we have had outbursts of wrath, when we have tried to use our words in a way to punish others. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have allowed lust to dwell in our minds and in our hearts. When we are looking at things that we ought not look, we are allowing things into our hearts and our lives that should not be there. Forgive us. And Lord, I pray today would be a day where you would give us great strength to make dramatic, radical changes that we would take extraordinary steps so that we could be the people that you want us to be in peace, in reconciliation, and in purity. Lord, we pray that we would look at relationships with a new light and the light of how you have loved us and how you've reconciled us so that we would be reconciled to others. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us extract ourselves from the thinking of the world and this culture, which is so saturated by sexual things, that you would help us to see that these things are wrong, that we would remove ourselves from them and give us the strength to make radical changes in our lives today. And Lord, we know, we know that eternity with you will be worth it. And we know that the fleeting pleasures of this life are not worth eternity away from you. So, Lord, strengthen our resolve, strengthen our faith, and give us the confidence and the boldness and the power that we need to walk forward in a new way of purity and peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus this morning to turn away from sins. That's the first step. The reason why Jesus gave these is so that we would be convicted in the heart and seek his Forgiveness. Forgiveness is available. Mercy and grace is available for any and all sins. God wants you to come to him with all of your heart. Come humbly before him, seeking his forgiveness. And he'll take away those sins if you'll come to him and give him your life. We encourage you to do that this morning. If we can help you in any way, let me know. Let someone beside you know or come forward while we stand and while we sing.